In Jerusalem, AD 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. After this conversion, the gospel continued to spread through the ministries of Paul and Peter. God gave Peter a vision and used him to first reach the Gentiles. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested, but an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity then turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. In AD 49, after an argument arose over circumcision, the Jerusalem Council sent a letter to the Gentiles, affirming that it was not a requirement for salvation. Meanwhile, during a missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas disagreed over John Mark traveling with them, and they separated. Timothy then joined Paul as they spread the gospel throughout Asia Minor and Greece. Paul spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Just as the church multiplied then, we must continue to multiply today. We must fuel the fire of multiplication as instruments of transformation both locally and globally, because the mission doesn't stop. Out of joy, the church multiplies. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, online church. And uh, we have been in the book of Acts for like six months now, and today we're going to finish that, uh, that amazing book with all of, the, all of the amazing kind of outpouring of the Spirit, the move of the gospel, Jesus being glorified, people being healed, people being saved, purpose being given, and uh, we, we see this unprecedented move where it started, you'll remember, in Jerusalem with 120 believers, and then in just a span of 40 or 50 years, growing to over 100,000 believers. And the gospel, God's gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, uh, this gospel moves through uh, various countries and through cultures in ways that never had been seen before. That it went from Jerusalem to Rome, which was 2,997 miles. I mean, that's an eight-hour flight. That's a long ways. I bet they would have liked to have flown. The spread of the gospel was unprecedented in human history. I mean, it crossed socioeconomic lines, ethnic lines. You remember in the first century, 
nation states had their own deities. Rome had its gods and Asia had its gods, whether it was Artemis or Zeus or whatever, whoever, wherever you lived determined who you would worship and who your God was. And here comes Christianity. And as Christianity spread, it started crossing these lines and tearing down these racial walls. And, and uh, what we see is that Jesus Christ liberates and makes whole. When we think of redemption and we think of restoration, what we see is not just God saving our soul, but God being the answer to the whole world. That he's the one that breaks down these walls. In these last few chapters, Luke basically recounts for us Paul's harrowing journey from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And I believe we can learn a few things, four things specifically, when we look at Paul's life, and we're looking at it, not just these chapters, but if you think with me through the entire book of Acts, as we've been looking at one of the predominant characters, which has been Saul, who later became Paul. You'll remember Saul was that like pre-Christian character, that person persecuting the church, a person that was dependent on their own strength to be able to be good enough to save themselves, to be worthy of heaven. But, they, but Saul had this encounter with Jesus, and it was through this experience, this encounter with Jesus, that he, he, he realized that he would never be good enough. He realized that Jesus was indeed real, that he died, he rose again, and that he calls to each and every one of us today to have that new life that can only be found in Christ. If you have a Bible, open with me to Acts chapter 25. And well, let me just kind of catch up really quickly. When Paul left the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, you remember he was going to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And so he had made it there. But then some of the Jewish leaders end up turning him in, turning him over to the Roman authorities, and basically saying he was there to stir up dissension and political revolt. So they arrested him. And the Jewish leaders beat him, and the Jews chanted, die, die, die. Matter of fact, 40 men, over 40 men, ended up taking this, like, vow to kill him. And so they, they weren't going to eat until he was dead. And so they planned this assassination attempt on Paul's life. Well, the Roman officials caught wind of it, end up taking him in the middle of the night with 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, 70 horsemen, I mean, his heavy guards, and they take him from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea, which is this town, nearby town, a port town. He's thrown in prison there. And the town couldn't figure out what to do. The, the governor couldn't figure out what to do with this guy. He had committed no crime, but he's having all of these accusations against him. Well, the re regional governor was a guy by the name of Felix, and Felix ends up leaving Paul in prison for two years because he's flummoxed. He doesn't know what to do. The guy is, he's not a criminal. He's like an enigma. He's a conundrum. They don't, they have no idea. What do we do with this guy? Paul is isolated. I mean, he, can you imagine? He feels useless. He feels alone. He's in the worst kind of quarantine that there is. His dreams are crushed. His future is uncertain. His life is on hold. It's pretty bad. I mean, when jail becomes your best refuge. I mean, let's face it, 2020 has been a tough year. We're still in it, right? And I mean, 
We went from one event, one hardship, one sadness, one grief, one national crisis to the next. And then, of course, if you're from, Spo from Smokan, then, you know, you wake up to that, the forest fires that are hurting people and burning towns down. And, of course, then we're having to, to deal with the outcomes of the smoke. And it's just that heaviness. If you are with me this last week, like what else could go wrong in 2020? Well, we have 50 days of political posturing ahead of us. <laughs> Maybe you feel like your life's on hold. Maybe you feel like, you know, I had these vocational dreams. I had these big things, these great plans I was going to pursue. And all of a sudden, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. Or maybe you lost your job and you're dealing with an enormous financial pressure in your life. Or maybe, maybe you wanted a relationship to happen and you found that it never did happen and you find yourself more alone than ever before. Or maybe it did happen and now it's disappointing or betrayal happened. It's easy to feel stuck and feel trapped in the days that we live in. And what's the worst part about it is when you're suffering and you feel alone is that you wonder where is God? Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, have you forgotten your promises? Do you know who I am? Does anybody remember that I exist? Paul understood that. Paul felt that. So let's look at a couple things that we see in his life that gave him this sturdy faith, a faith that would not be shipwrecked, a hope that would be enduring, a life that would be inspirational to others in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of the isolation and the pain. The first thing, talk about hope. Talk about the hope that's within you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is residing in you, then you have a hope within you that's worth talking about. I mean, sure, you gotta, you got to stir it up first and remember that you've been called, you've been destined, you've been given purpose. God has put his spirit in you, and he's called you to be his witness of, his, of the hope that he brings. Paul did that. He never gave up. Paul told the Jews about the hope that he had in heaven. Paul told the governor Felix the hope that was in Jesus, even while he was in prison. Eventually, Felix is succeeded by this other weird-named guy by the name of Festus. Festus, you know, like festering. And Festus discovers Paul is in prison when he takes his governor, uh, his office. And uh, he's curious about this guy, Paul. He's heard about him. He's intriguing. I mean, his life is compelling to kind of go, what makes this guy tick? I mean, the guy doesn't have to be in prison like this, but he's almost like chosen this for himself. He's scratching his head. Well, there's a visiting governor by the name of Agrippa and his wife Bernice, and they do this huge powwow with pomp and circumstance. They want to pull, pull Paul in and hear his story. It says in Acts chapter 25, verse 22, Then Agrippa said to Festus, these two governors, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. See, none of these people that Paul spoke to in this occasion, even that we know of, became followers of Christ. But Paul makes his appeal. 
Paul tells about the hope that is within him. And he ends up appealing to Caesar. And he said, well, then to Caesar you will go. Now, I know we're not in the same circumstances as him. I mean, I doubt that there's 40 assassins after you. I doubt that any of you are kind of up for death row. I doubt that it, well, I know you're not in jail right now. I mean, you don't consider this jail, right? Nope. But, you know, we have our own pain. It's not to be minimized. It's real. Studies show that 30, 35, roughly 35% of us are struggling with some form of, uh, of, of mental anguish right now. Anxiety, fear, stress, that sense of being trapped. And it's severe, and it can be difficult. I mean, some have lost their job. Some are wondering about the future. Yeah, we're not in the same exact situation, but we struggle too. And how do you share the hope that is within you when you're struggling? Because there is hope. You see, when people look at your life, I want to live the kind of life where people ask questions like they did of Paul. Where they look at you and they go, I want to know the story behind the story. Because why is it that you have hope when this world is so messed up? Why is it that you're still generous when the economy is so uncertain? Why is it that you forgive people who don't deserve it? Why is it that you have faith in the midst of your circumstances? Peter, he said it this way. He said, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. See how Peter is supposing that your life provokes questions, that your life, your attitude, your responsiveness to what's happening around you, that it causes curiosity in others to say, what makes you tick? What's the story behind? Tell me the story, man. What, what's going on with you? And then we have that opportunity to talk about the hope that is within us. Here's the second thing we can see and learn from Paul, the way that he lives his life under difficult circumstances, sees the opportunities that are disguised as problems. I mean, there's a lot of problems right now. And there'll be those who are able to seize opportunity and see opportunity in the midst of problems, difficulties, and setbacks. And then there'll be others who just complain the whole way through and end up unchanged. At the end of Paul's message, Paul goes on this roll showing how all the Jewish prophets have prophesied about the coming of Jesus. And he says this, Paul says this in verse 27 of chapter 26. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? See, Agrippa uh, was an ethnic Jew. And from the time he was like eight, he was about eight years old when Jesus died. And he's addressing Agrippa and he's saying, do you believe? You believe, don't you? And Agrippa said to Paul, he said, whoa, 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 in such a short time, do you think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's life is on the line, and yet he seizes this opportunity to tell Agrippa about Christ. 
to proclaim Jesus to the governor. Can I ask you, is this how you see your life, your profession, your circumstances? Maybe God made you a doctor, not just because you're good at medicine or a way to provide for your family, but he's given you a platform. Or maybe you're a teacher or an athlete or a business woman or man. And God has placed you where he's placed you for a reason, not just to provide and make money, but to have a platform of influence, to live your life in such a way that people want to know the story behind the story. Can I speak to you if you're a college student or high school student? You guys are on the single greatest mission field that exists in America. What if God's purpose is not only that you get good grades and set yourself up for a good future with a nice vocation, but also to bring Christ to your campus, to bring others to Christ? Paul saw whatever situation, whether the business he was doing, making tents, selling tents, whether it was the ministry he was involved in, or even from the midst of his jail cell, he's looking for those opportunities. What opportunities is God wanting you to see? See, he, we, we got to listen. We got to open our eyes. We got to say, God, help me quit moaning and complaining. And I'm not saying there's not a time to moan and complain. There are plenty of laments in the scripture. Read the Psalms. We see it all of the time that David is pouring his heart out in anguish and pain and lament. But you'll also see a part of a lament is a turning from that pain, from that suffering, from that sense of abandonment to a place of trust in God. Even if it means just remembering the things God has done in the past in order to point towards a better future. It might be in your business where, yeah, your business has dwindled, but how might God want to use that to get you in a new path, maybe in a, in a fresh expression of your business, or to multiply it? Or maybe it's you're not going to the college you thought you would go to, and that got changed up on you. God has a plan, and there's an opportunity in front of you. No matter what it is, we just need to begin to train our eye to see, God, where are the opportunities in the midst of this problem? And I'm, I know that God wants to speak to us and show us because God is working today in the world. Some of these problems, some of these national crises and issues, they've surfaced for a reason because it's such a time as this that God is saying, I want you now to do things different. Do things different whether it's in church or whether it's in government or whether it's in business or whether it's the way that we work with various uh, race relations, whether it's, what, what is it that God is doing to say, I'm bringing freedom, I'm bringing restoration, I'm bringing newness. We prayed for that, haven't we? Don't you pray that in your life? Lord, make some changes. Lord, bring me into some new places. Lord, help me see some new things. Well, he's there and he's doing it. And here's the third thing. Remember, God's in control. Remember, he's in control. Festus put Paul on a boat, sent him to go see Caesar. The boat gets swept up in this hurricane of a storm and is blown out to sea. And it's lost for basically a month. I mean, poor Paul. He, this guy cannot get a break. Acts 27 verse 21 says, Since they had been without food... For a long time, 
Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. See, God had already spoken to Paul. He had already warned them, but they blew him off and they just kept their course. Yet, he says in verse 22, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. I mean, this is a guy that listens to God in the midst of storm. I want to be that way. I want to have an active ear to hear what God is saying. Everybody around Paul is freaking out. Everybody is looking at the worst of the worst of the worst. And Paul is listening to God. And God gave him a prophetic word and a dream. And then he was able to share that hope with other people. God is still speaking today. Giving life. Prophetically wanting to speak to you and me. Am I listening? Are you listening? There's things the Holy Spirit is saying to give direction. If you're a leader, if you're an owner, if you're a father or a mother, God wants to give you direction and speak into your heart in the midst of the worst of circumstances and help you be a guiding light. You say, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul didn't let the storm make him a doubter. But he saw God in control. God arranging opportunities for him, not only to make it all the way to Rome, but also for him to be able to share with those 276 people on board that ship. As a Christian, God doesn't always shield you from the storm. But he allows you to go through the very same suffering as other people. You know why? So that you can reveal the hope that is within you. So that you can show others what hope looks like in the middle of a storm. What's it like to experience the presence of God when everybody else has lost their presence of mind? Demonstrating the presence of God in the storm is more powerful than trying to call to them in the midst of their storm. We're in the storm right now. 2020 is a year we're all going to remember forever. And for some, it's been much harder than others. But it's a shared storm we're in. God is working. God is speaking. God is saving. God is pointing us to Jesus. And I don't want to be like one of the sailors on the ship freaking out, complaining the whole time, talking about how the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. I want to be one that is able to describe the hope that is within me and to see that God is still in control and that I want to talk about that hope and see that there's opportunities even in the midst of problems. Your testimony, what God has done in your life, is so powerful. It doesn't need to be all put together with a bow on top. Our testimony comes out of our brokenness. It comes out of our suffering. It comes out of our pain. It comes out of our mistakes. Why? Because you weren't put here on this earth to show everyone how awesome you are. It's to show everyone how awesome God is. 
how deep his forgiveness flows, how powerful, how good his grace is, and how the glory belongs to God. All right, here's the last thing. Live boldly. That's what we see in the life of Paul. Living boldly. I mean, let's go to the very end of the book here in Acts, and here's how Luke ends it in Acts 28, verse 30. He said, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. He's under house arrest and welcomed all who came to him, which wasn't that many people, but he did welcome them and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all what? Boldness and without hindrance. The end. You say, well, that's a weird way to end it. What about when he proclaimed before Caesar? What, what about all of that? We don't know. The book ends as a cliffhanger. You're not told what happens to Paul in his dreams. You know why? Because it's not about Paul in his dreams. It's about the spirit and the gospel. In fact, we know from history that eventually Paul was released. He went to Spain. And then he was rearrested and beheaded by Nero. Why not record all of that? Well, maybe it's just Luke's way of saying to all the Neros of the world, you can kill us, you can imprison us, but you will never stop the spread of the gospel. You see that same torrential wind of the Spirit we see filling the early church in the book of Acts chapter 1 and 2. That's the same Holy Spirit that scattered his church throughout the ends of the earth. And it's the same Holy Spirit that's at work in us today. It wasn't a time back then when it was like, yeah, the church back then needed power, so we sent the Spirit, and the Spirit brought power, and now that's an end of a dispensation, and now the church doesn't need that same power. Are you kidding? We need the same power of the Holy Spirit today that they needed back then. And so the Spirit is alive and well. And the Spirit wants to fill your life and give you boldness. That's where boldness comes from. If you're struggling with boldness in your life to live a life of white, hot passion for God, and you're struggling with that to, to be able to give voice to the hope that is within you, and you're struggling with the ability to kind of seize those opportunities or hear the voice of God in your life, be filled with the Holy Spirit again. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to baptize us. That's, that's, baptize means immerse us in his presence, in his power. And I don't know about you, but I'm a leaky vessel. I need the Holy Spirit and his empowerment, not just once, but over and over in my life. And that's what provides that way to live boldly, boldly. Fan it into flame. That's how Paul put it to Timothy. He said, fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. How does God want us to live? Boldly. How does he want us to give? Boldly. How does he want us to pray? Boldly. How does he want us to believe? With boldness. To worship? Boldly. Baptism. We're going to do a baptism here in just a moment. And baptism is a statement of boldness. That's what it is. You remember when Jesus said, if I don't go, then the Spirit will not come. And in Matthew 28, that great commandment, Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, baptism is that stance where you're standing with Jesus. You're standing with him and making your allegiance to him because you're standing in his name, the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God. Why water? Well, water is the symbol that when you go under the water, it's like a burial where I'm saying I, I'm dying to my old self, my old selfishness, my old sinfulness. And it's because of Jesus and what he did on the cross that he invites me into relationship that I can be raised to new life. And so when they come out of the water, that's the representation of that is a resurrected life. Sure, we'll be resurrected in the last day, but there's a resurrection right now that we get to be set free from our self-destructive ways, from our sin and our selfishness. Nash Dunham is going to be baptized. And Nash, this is a bold statement. We're so excited for you. A decision, a line in the sand to say, I'm going to live my life where Jesus leads the way. He's the center. He's the forgiver. God's plan for you and for me for all of us, is not to live a weak, anemic, religious-feeling life, but to live a life of power, of boldness, of sound mind, to live a life where, yeah, we, we live in brokenness, we experience some of the same storms as everybody else, but there's a hope that's within us. Paul got the gospel to Rome 3,000 miles away. It's time now that we see that the gospel permeates our campus and our neighborhood, and our city, and our world. And sure, I'm just one imperfect person. You're just one imperfect person. But it's as we all team up together and say, God, here are we. Fill us. Fill us with the Spirit. Send us into this world. Multiply the gospel. Make yourself known, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we know that you're not done writing the book of Acts because you're not done writing the story of our lives. You're not done writing the move of the Holy Spirit and the extension of this gospel of freedom and purpose and peace and forgiveness. And so we pray that over our city. We pray that, Lord, over our neighborhood and over our campuses. We pray that, God, over our own hearts. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in me today, God. Help me live boldly. I know what that means. It's I've got to be filled and refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So fill me today, God. Would that be your prayer? Just to put yourself in that receiving posture. Just say, Lord, fill me today. Fill me with your encouragement. Fill me with strength. Fill me with power. Fill me, God, with an inspiration that isn't of this earth. And grant me, Lord, the ability to begin to point people to you like never before. If you've been listening today and God's been knocking on the door of your heart to say, I'm speaking to you, son or daughter. I'm speaking to you. I'm inviting you into a relationship with my son Jesus. I'm inviting you to be forgiven and to follow me. 
If that's you, would you just pray this prayer just in your own way, right where you're at? Jesus, I open my heart to you. I place my faith in you that you are God's one and only son who came to this earth. You lived, you died, and you rose again. You ascended to heaven, and now, Lord, you pour your spirit out on me, and I say yes to that. Yes, Lord, forgive me and lead me into that unknown future that you have all figured out, and you are in control. Lord, give each one of us what we need today. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to celebrate here with Nash as he's baptized, a bold statement. And as he comes up out of the water, let's make sure and celebrate along with the angels in heaven, okay? Let's worship. I give you glory for all you've brought me through. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Yeah, I'm moving forward to follow after you. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Your presence is in us. I promise. 
Thank you again for joining us today. If the message spoke to you in any way or you're in need of some prayer, go ahead and hit the prayer link at the bottom of the screen and a pastor would love to reach out and pray with you or talk to you about the message. Here at North Church, we also believe in connecting people in healthy and growing relationships. So if you're looking for a small group or a Jesus-centered group of people who like to have fun, we'd love to help you get connected. Go ahead and click the connect link at the top of the page and we'll be able to reach out to you this week. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you soon.